Well, this morning we continue our study of God the Spirit. And like any time we pursue a subject, we will be looking at a number of texts in our Bibles. Last time we looked at several places in Scripture that demonstrate the personhood of the Holy Spirit. God the Spirit is not an impersonal force, an impersonal power. He is a person. And He is God. He is not partly God. He is not just a part of God, but He is fully God. Which, of course, led us to exploring the Bible's teaching on the Trinity. The Lord our God is one, and yet He consists of three distinct persons, each of whom is fully God. This is the clear teaching of Scripture. And even if we can't fully understand it, God has revealed enough for us to grasp some of it and believe it and to worship Him appropriately. I also said that I summarize the Holy Spirit's work under four broad headings or four broad descriptions. First of all, the Holy Spirit executes the will of God. It is the Holy Spirit who actually accomplishes what the triune Godhead determines and declares to be so. The Holy Spirit reveals the mind of God. It is the Holy Spirit who manifests or makes known God's thoughts and God's desires and, and will. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit mediates the presence of God. It is the Holy Spirit who is among the people of God, making his presence known. And fourthly, the Holy Spirit glorifies the triune God, by which I mean that the Holy Spirit, one of his works or roles, is to bring glory to God the Father, and especially God the Son. As we look at various texts of Scripture, these purposes, these roles of the Holy Spirit often overlap. By which I mean that when we read a text, it will describe more than one of these most of the time. But at least every description of the Holy Spirit's activity, I think, falls into at least one of these categories. Now from this point, we could approach our study by a couple of different paths. The approach that I want to take is to show you how the role of the Holy Spirit progresses through the Scriptures. How we understand the Spirit of God is formed by how the Bible progressively tells us more and more, how its plot line is developed, because the Bible progressively tells us more about the Holy Spirit and His activity as he becomes more and more prominent in the, in the biblical story. The Holy Spirit's work in executing the will of God, in revealing the mind of God, in mediating the presence of God, and in glorifying the triune God, becomes progressively greater and progressively clearer as the Bible's storyline unfolds. So let me just say a quick word of prayer then as we get into the word. Father, bless us today and help us to have our hearts open, whether we are um, on our cell phones or whether we are in our living rooms, Lord, in front of a TV. But Lord, would you, would you help us to think well through your word and to have our hearts open to what you would have for us in these days? In your name we pray. As a way of discovering, then, what the Bible says, I want you to see the Holy Spirit's activity, first of all, 
before Christ's birth, then during Christ's life, and then after Christ's glorification. This is a way of just organizing what the Bible says about the work and the role of God the Spirit. And you might say, why Christ? I mean, this is a study of the Holy Spirit, so why would you use Christ as kind of the organizing point of these things? It's because the Bible's storyline is centered around the person of Jesus Christ. And as you'll see, even though we are studying God the Spirit, it is the person of Christ around which the story is centered, it unfolds regarding him. And even as we learn a little bit more about the Holy Spirit's role, you will see that the Holy Spirit has a special ministry with God the Son, with the Messiah. So we begin then with the Holy Spirit's role before Christ's birth. Before Christ's birth, the Bible connects the Spirit's role or his work with creation, empowerment, revelation, and promise. Creation, empowerment, revelation, and promise. Right, so let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, as we look at the Holy Spirit's relationship to creation. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now here we are at the very beginning of creation. We see the Spirit of God hovering over what would be the world that we know. He is poised. I believe that's what's pictured here with this hovering. He is poised to execute the will of the Godhead in bringing the world into existence. The Psalms pick up this same theme. Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Now remember, these words were originally written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for spirit is also the same word for wind, and the same word for breath. So sometimes this presents challenges for translating the word when we come across this word, as here in Psalm 33, 6. When it says the breath of his mouth, what is it talking about? Should it be translated breath? Should it be translated wind? Should it be translated spirit? I think, though, that it's pretty clear in Psalm 33, 6 that this is spirit, his spirit. God doesn't actually breathe. God is spirit. He does not breathe out carbon dioxide and breathe in oxygen like we do. So here it is his spirit. By the spirit of his mouth, all their host, the heavens, were made. And we see this crucial connection that we'll see often in the study of the Bible between God's word and God's spirit. The Trinity's will is declared, it is spoken, and God the spirit exercises the divine power to accomplish that will. Another example is Job 26 verse 13. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Again, here we have wind, but this is spirit. I think even breath would probably be a better way to translate the word here because it's 
is kind of paralleled with hand, right? But these are all just ways of communicating imagery, communicating how God created and interacts with creation. So by his spirit, the heavens were made fair. Job 33, verse 4, the spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Now, the person speaking here in the book of Job is one of Job's friends, Elihu. But what's really important about this text is that it draws a parallel between the original creation of Adam, when God took formed Adam from the dust of the earth and breathed life into him, that is, gave him a spirit, made him a living being. It's drawing this parallel between this original creation of Adam and the creation of every individual who is born afterward. The Spirit of God, God the Spirit, is active in the giving of life or in the creation of every human being. Psalm 104 says this about all living things. Psalm 104, beginning in verse 27. These all look to you. He's talking about creation, all of the creatures of the earth, animals, living things. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath or their spirit, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. So here is not only just a picture of how the Holy Spirit creates but how the Holy Spirit maintains creation, leads creation to its, to its final end, right? So the Holy Spirit is connected, before Christ is connected clearly with the work of creation. Secondly, the Holy Spirit before Christ is connected to empowerment. Empowerment. We'll begin here with Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 through 5. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. Now this is an empowerment that enables this man, Bezalel, to design, craft, and build the tabernacle. That's what, what, that's what all this building language is about here. These materials and the, the craft and building is that this man was chosen to build the tabernacle for the people of Israel, for God's ark to reside, for his glory to be there. And so God says to Moses, I have filled him, and it uses filling, this imagery of filling, to capture what God's Spirit is doing in empowering and enabling this particular man to craft and build the tabernacle. Numbers chapter 11, verse 25. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, this is Moses, 
and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. So this is a picture of, uh, you may be familiar with the story, but Moses was struggling with the, uh, the administration of justice uh, among the people of Israel. And he was advised to uh, somewhat distribute the responsibilities. And the Lord comes down here and demonstrates his approval of this uh, strategy by putting some of the spirit that he had put on Moses. The spirit was placed upon Moses. That's the image. So that Moses could judge rightly, so that he could lead correctly. And God takes some of that spirit and puts it on 70 other elders, leaders within the nation. And they prophesy as kind of a sign that God has done that. We see this again in the book of Judges. And in fact, we see it often in the book of Judges. I'm just going to give you one example. And this is regarding the judge by the name of Othniel. But this phrase is repeated numerous times in relationship to the other judges. This is found in Judges chapter 3, verse 10. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, Othniel, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. Okay, so here, this being the Spirit of the Lord being upon Othniel, this judge, empowers him militarily. It gives him victory, strength, wisdom, understanding of military field strategy in a way that God wins a victory through the judge. And again, that happens throughout the book of Judges. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, this is David, in the midst of his brothers. And watch how he describes here. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, describes how the Spirit is given to David. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is a description of how David is first anointed to become king of Israel. And the Spirit of God rushes upon him. This is why in Psalm 51, which we often quote, and it's uh, probably... Probably the best known psalm for as a psalm of repentance and of dealing with sin, coming clean before God, creating me a clean heart, O God. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. What does David say that? Not because he's afraid God will abandon him, but he does not want to lose the Spirit of God who is upon him to give him wisdom and victory and blessing as the king of Israel. Another example would be Isaiah 63, 11. This one's a little different. Listen to this. Then he remembered the days of old. This is Isaiah speaking about the Lord. The Lord remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Now this is empowerment, but it's also talking about the Spirit's presence and care. 
Now, God's presence and care of his people is mentioned many times in the Old Testament. This is the only place that I'm aware of where it speaks of God's presence and care of his people in their midst and refers directly to the Holy Spirit. Right? So, the Holy Spirit, then, is connected with the work of creation. It's also, uh, his work is one of empowerment, where, where individuals are particularly empowered and enabled to accomplish great feats all right, for God's people, for God's will. The third thing that we see, then, is that the Holy Spirit has a role in revelation. Revelation. That is, that it is the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament, before Christ is born, it is the Holy Spirit who is instrumental in revealing the will of God. First text is Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. So here's Ezekiel being prepared to give his prophetic words, which then are our book of Ezekiel, which God is speaking in, but it is God's Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who enters into him and speaks to him and through him. Another prophet by the name of Micah says something similar in Micah 3, verse 8. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with the justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. In other words, the Spirit now empowers or enables and reveals through the prophet Micah words of rebuke, words of correction for the nation. This is from Zechariah chapter 7, verse 12. This is after the exile. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. So despite the fact that the Lord had spoken through his spirit in the law, and through the former prophets, the people had hardened their hearts. The former prophets refers to what we would consider some historical books in the Old Testament. The book of Joshua, Judges, book of First and Second Samuel, and the books of the Kings, First and Second Kings. These are the former prophets. They came, words from the Lord, through His Spirit, or by His Spirit. We find another like reference in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 30. This is also after the exile. Many years you bore them and warned them. Listen carefully here. And warned them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hands of the people of the lands. So once again, we see that it is the spirit is the Holy Spirit who is inspiring the prophetic words that are our scriptures. Then we have some in the New Testament, which are actually referring to the Old Testament, identifying their true original author. Jesus did this in Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 36. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? 
David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. This is a quote from Psalm 110. And he, Jesus clearly identifies that David is in the Holy Spirit. That David wasn't just writing his words, coming up with this himself, but that this was revealed by the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 1, verse 16, Peter does the same thing. Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. This is Peter talking to the disciples and explaining, really encouraging them not to be discouraged about Judas's betrayal. That the Old Testament scriptures had said this had to, this was going to happen, and it had to happen. But think about what this says about the scriptures themselves, and where prophecies come from. It was the Holy Spirit speaking beforehand by the mouth of David that, that was then written in the scriptures and looked to as God's revealed mind. It is Peter who also gives a summary statement on the origin of the Old Testament scriptures in his letter of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For no prophecy has ever produced, uh, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were born by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who is inspiring the text that they were writing. So, Holy Spirit was instrumental in producing the prophetic words of the prophets as well as the inscripturating of their words, the writing of their words, which we have as the Old Testament scriptures. Well, lastly, we see that the Holy Spirit is connected to promise, to promise. And this is really where probably the most important part, it comes at the end here, because I want you to see how this leads to the next progression in the story, which is the life of Christ. Remember, this is all before Christ is born. But even though the Holy Spirit is clearly active in this era, in the Old Testament scriptures, these very prophecies tell us that the Spirit will someday have a greater role. He will someday do greater work. The Old Testament prophecies, you see, point forward with promises that God's Spirit will, first of all, be present in God's Savior King, His Messiah. And secondly, that God's Spirit will be present in God's people. So first of all, we see that the Holy Spirit is promised to be part of the ministry, the work of, the coming of God's promised Savior King. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. We often refer to these verses around Christmas time. There shall come from a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And we've seen that language already, haven't we? What happens when the Spirit of the Lord rests upon or is put upon somebody? The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. When it says here the spirit of 
wisdom and understanding, the spirit of, the spirit of. It's meaning that this, this spirit will supply. It will give these things. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Here, the coming Messiah is identified as God's servant. That's a capital S. He is God's servant, the promised servant. And he says, I will put my spirit upon him. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now, this in Isaiah's prophecy, this is the servant actually speaking. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. The fascinating thing about this particular verse is that it is a verse that Jesus will read aloud in the synagogue in Nazareth and apply it to himself. He will say, this is fulfilled in your hearing today. We'll come to that passage in weeks to come. Okay, so God's Savior King, the Messiah, God's servant who will represent him to his people, will be marked by the presence of the Holy Spirit in a special way. Something that no one had ever seen before. Something that nobody else could have ever claimed before. God's Spirit would be upon him. But God's Spirit will also be given to God's people in a new way. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is a promise of the new covenant. And we'll see in weeks to come, again, as we continue this series and this study, we will see that the new covenant is the covenant of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, is the bringer of, and the ex, he executes or enacts, empowers the new covenant with God's people. And this here is describing two ministries that we'll see in the, New, in, in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit accomplishes in the life of in the lives of Christians. One is this new heart, uh, a heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. That's regeneration. That's new life that the Holy Spirit gives to God's people. And this, I will put my spirit within you. That is the the indwelling. The Spirit comes to dwell within the new people of God. Now, anyone originally hearing Ezekiel's prophecy would not have been able to put all that together. But that's what Ezekiel's talking about. We also have Joel chapter 2, verses 28-29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So there is this putting my spirit within you. 
giving you a heart of flesh. And there is also this imagery of pouring out the Spirit. Now, we know, because we know the New Testament, that this takes place on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. In fact, Peter, the Apostle Peter, points to this very text to explain what's going on. Why there's this, why they're speaking in tongues, and why they're proclaiming the gospel, and all of these things, Peter points to this text as being fulfilled. Again, we'll look at that in weeks to come. But all of this to say that the Old Testament points forward to a greater work and a greater role of the Holy Spirit. References in the Old Testament before Christ are a lot fewer, and uh, they're a bit more vague. And remember, again, the original writers and the original audiences would not have heard or seen Trinity in these references. We see the Old Testament through New Testament eyes. It gives us greater understanding. I know we've gone through a lot of references today, and I'm just giving you a basis to understand the role and the work of the Holy Spirit before Christ is born. As the Israelites have returned from captivity in Babylon and come back to the land and are under the leadership of Nehemiah and Ezra and under the prophetic guidance of the prophets like Zechariah and Zephaniah and Haggai, the people are rebuilding Jerusalem's walls. They're rebuilding Jerusalem's temple. And these last prophets issue final warnings and final promises. There is, a, there is an expectancy among the people. They are waiting for this Savior King. They are waiting for this servant to come. And they are waiting to identify him by the power of the Spirit of God who would mark him and his ministry. Right? We'll get into that next time because there is a special relationship between the Spirit and the Son.